I mean, I, I used to be a bit more relaxed before we started into this journey. But on the other hand, I'm so happy to work full time with my best friend on stuff I love. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of the Code and Conquer podcast. We're officially back from our short vacation break and we'll start right up with a very great episode for you guys. In this episode, we sit down with Matthias Neumeyer and Dima Rubanov, the co-founders of Oscar Stories and HeyQQ. Both Matthias and Dima are not your typical technical indie hackers. They both started their journey at very different career paths, but always together as friends. We'll talk about their startups Oscar Stories and HeyQQ, as well as how their friendship has shaped their business and the other way around. I think we have a very great episode here, so I won't keep you waiting. Let's jump right in. I hope you'll enjoy it. <laughs> and welcome to the sixth episode of the Code and Conquer podcast. Today I have Dima Rubanov and Matthias Neumeyer with me. Tell us a little bit about yourself, guys. I'm Matthias. We're really glad to be here. Dima and uh, me are best friends since 20 years and two or almost counting to going to three years ago, we decided to fund a company together and embrace the indie hacking life. Yeah. So my name is Dima and as Matthias said, uh, we are the founders of Oscar Stories and uh, HeyQQ. And also, I think if my memory doesn't betray me, you guys are actually the first ones that don't have a software development degree that we have on the podcast. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, would you guys want to explain what your studies actually have been? Um, yeah, so uh, I actually studied business administration for bachelors and uh, then went on to do a finance master's in the UK. Um, so I don't have a actual like software development degree. Nonetheless, we're both uh, the developers of uh, both of our platforms and apps, um, Oscar and uh, HeyQQ. The thing is, we started programming actually, I think, at the age of around 12 or 13 years old. That's when we did our first internet project, which was a Vibalatin forum. So back then, we kind of, you know, yeah, we dove into the programming world for the first time. Yeah, we actually started to do PHP BBB boards, if you remember them. And then we uh, did database merging at the age of 12 or 13 and learned SQL queries and PHP and kind of also did websites on the side. Um, but after graduating from high school, we both just did different stuff. I actually started law and then worked for six months in a law firm. And I also have a degree in film, which was a bachelor's degree. And after six months in a law firm, I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And <laughs> uh, then I spent six or seven years, I think, in film production and the advertising scene. I had a little film production and also worked for advertising firms. Um, and yeah, and at COVID, we both had not a lot to do. Uh, because Dima worked uh, as an airport consultant uh, and did huge infrastructure projects. And then we just kind of spin the ideas around, uh, together. We actually had, I don't know, three or four projects we kind of started and then realized, no, that's not the thing. 
and then HeyQQ was the first one that really stuck and we got and we founded the company and said, yeah, let's do this and let's try to make a living out of our own projects. That's it in a nutshell, more or less. <laughs> and that's very interesting, though, that you started so early with software development and then didn't go into it professionally like what why did you decide against that both of you actually even though both of you started together so early i actually don't really know i mean i always had a passion for film uh, for filmmaking and i knew that i kind of want to do that which is actually not that far from technology because it's kind of has also some tech vibe sometimes to it and uh, i don't know i probably just studied law because we both went to a really conservative Catholic school and everybody <laughs> just studied law, became doctors or did econom uh, economics. And that was just like something you did. I didn't really put much, much thought into it. I, uh, in retrospective, probably would have been nice to study something with uh, programming or get a computer degree, uh, um, a CS degree. Yeah, for me, I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell. I think one of the main reasons is obviously what Matthias just said that we both went to a very uh, conservative school where everyone you know your surroundings very often define your path in life yes yeah? so if everyone around you is talking about I don't know applying uh, to law then the chances of you doing the same thing are pretty high yeah and I mean I never wanted to study law because for some point uh, for some reason being a lawyer never kind of interested me I wanted to become a doctor. I was actually for quite a long, quite a while. I wanted to be a dentist, but at some point, I don't know. I just decided now I'm going to go with economics, studied business administration because that was at the VU University, Vienna University of Economics and Business or something it's called. So I just went with that, uh, went into consulting. And then at some point during the consulting career, I decided that the financial part of uh, consulting businesses that is the one that interests me more. So that's why I decided to add another finance master's to it. Yeah, Dima actually studied in the UK uh, and did his master's degree there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So both of you guys like left the path towards computer science at some point, even though you started at 12 or even, even earlier. Uh, how did you get back into it? Uh, mainly the indie hacking part then? Like what, what, what brought you back to the computer scientists? Hmm. Actually, I think it was Dima that just we had we were spinning around with ideas and we were like realizing it really sucks if you uh, have to hire other people to like implement <laughs> an MVP because you, you, you have no idea at all. Mm -hmm. And so Dima was like, I, I remember one night in his flat where we both had still our jobs and we were like spinning around with ideas. And he was like, I mean, when we were never bad at math. Uh, and we kind of did programming together and he was like, yeah, just let's, let's learn that. So we both started courses and actually Dima, I remember that quite well, did an Excel sheet with a course plan for one year, uh, where <laughs> the, the, the great planner he is, he put in like, okay, we have to put in 14 hours, at least a week. That's like the minimum. And then we can achieve that. And he just like planned out, I don't know, I think five or six programming courses on Udemy, uh, CS50, etc. And it was going from like, okay, learn CS50, then learn the basics of Python, 
then learn uh, how to implement uh, Flask, Django, etc. Then we venture into JavaScript. Then you learn React. Then you learn React Native. Then you learn this, 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 this. And the thing is, we actually did that. We actually did this whole plan, like from A to Z. And it was really crazy because we did it for one and a half years, I think, next to our jobs. And was just like, okay, we want to become good at programming. And we started with CS50, did it for six weeks, and then just did the whole, uh, we did, I think, five Udemy courses, but from the first lesson till the last, yeah. because <laughs> we uh, were motivating each other so much. There was mm -hmm. always like, after work, Dima was texting me, yeah, I already did that lesson. Did you do it? I was like, shit, I didn't do the lesson. Okay, I have to put in two hours. Okay, let's go to that, to that, to that, that. And we were, it was just like something, we were competing a little bit against each other to just do it. And then we were like at a point where like, okay, yeah. I mean, we can start a small, uh, we can code something. The first thing thing we did was actually movie made. Yeah, yeah, movie made. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> we did a platform where you can uh, upload your play, uh, your favorite movies and then your friends could upload their, your fa their favorite movies or no, no, favorite, just movies they want to watch. And then you mm -hmm. would check what similar movies are on your watch list and then you get recommendations what movie you could watch in a movie night together or going to the cinema and stuff uh i actually think it's down now because heroku had a paid plan yeah. afterwards but <laughs> <laughs> yeah we we did that it was uh it's just flask and uh and uh sql and i don't know what the tech stack was can't remember anymore but yeah, it, like it was flask yeah flask yeah. and sql or uh, sqlite yeah so at the so in the end of after those one and a half years you actually were probably better programmers than most people after a bachelor's in computer science i don't know, I hope, I, don't know. <laughs> I hope it's okay we actually no, it was very hands-on yeah. i would say yeah. everything we did was very very hands-on yeah. we decided like yeah we need to we want to do this we want to do that and then we actually just learned the tech stack exactly for this specific um application yeah and we learned so much like really working on a production and like an on an app that is live out there and people use mm -hmm. i mean i think that's some the, the learning part there is the highest it can get because you just have to solve the problems yeah <laughs> a question of if you can do it and yeah i remember the first time when you know when i saw the app actually on my phone i'm like oh my god it's it <laughs> went from the simulator to my phone it's crazy <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah so both of you guys are doing the software development part in your company now, and you also have the law degree and also a master in finance. So you're pretty much unstoppable as a company now, right? We hope. I mean, the problem yeah. is we're just two people and we you you we do everything together. I mean, we have some parts we split, but like uh, you realize even if you're two people, which is an advantage for, I have a huge respect for solopreneurs, because it's so much better if you have someone else to just spin balls, but it's just like you have so you wear so many hats at once. I mean, I don't have to tell that to you, Tobias, because yeah, yeah. You, you know yeah. how it feels. But it's like no matter how many stuff you can do, it's so hard to decide what to do first and uh, how much time to uh, put into a project or to put into an idea and stuff. Yeah, and the the worst question is always when do you stop when it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah, like at least for me it is. <laughs> of course, yes, of course. that's true. I mean, we always try to split stuff 
according to our expertise more yeah. or less so for example if matthias like for example we were doing the podcast as well uh, we had a hey qq podcast and uh, obviously matthias knows how to you know do the whole audio thing you know and stuff like that so he did the main part and then he taught me how to do uh, you know the cutting and stuff how to cut out the, the m's and us and so on so mm -hmm. i would do that and then send the files to him and then he would you know <laughs> have a look at it yeah exactly the same for example if we're trying to get funding on stuff like that i would write you know some of the business plan or do the financial model and stuff and then we would discuss it together because this is more something that i'm uh, more just faster most most likely it's not rocket mm -hmm. science so <laughs> and way better <laughs> yeah it, rem it actually reminds me of the situation that i'm in um because now Uh, Schreiberling, or maybe it will become another name, but the copywriting AI tool that I'm working on, I'm now working on officially with my with my girlfriend, who is a UX designer, and it, this, this situation reminds me of you two guys, because it's just you have two people with very specific expertise, knowledge in two different fields, and it works together very, very well. Um, for you guys even more so, I think, because you have the rest of the, of the business pretty much uh, between you guys covered. Uh, maybe except for marketing, which is all our all, all the indie hackers' favorite topic. Which is, but it's just it's just cool to see that um, when you have pairings like these, that you can work really really well together. And then being friends for 20 years probably helps with uh, stuff like conflicts in the in the company, right? Yeah, I yeah. think it didn't have many conflicts, I must say. Yeah, but I mean, we we I think the trust is probably the most important thing because. Yeah. I know Dima for such a long time that I would trust him with all my bank accounts and <laughs> would sleep well at night because yeah, same for me. we just, you know, we know each other since we were 10 years old. Um, our parents know each other and uh, we just, we sat in school eight years next to each other. So I also, we also know that the bad stuff about each other. And uh, I think that's something, if you have a company with, with someone I think having the right partner is probably the most important part. I mean, it's also really cool that you work it together with your girlfriend because you also have trust. And but also the the bad part about it is we realized that we also have to spend quality time together as friends and not talk mm -hmm. about work. Yeah. Because we are getting in the mode when we go out for drinks with our girlfriends, we would talk about work, and they would oh, be yeah. like, guys just chill i mean it's friday night what's what's up there yeah you have yeah. to hit the off switch from time to time yeah it's that's exactly. really hard and we implemented some kind of rules that for example that the work stuff we only send each other via slack and not via whatsapp because we you know it happens kind of um you don't even do it on purpose because i know that matthias constantly thinks about the company the same way as i do so of course if i read something or if i find something which could benefit us maybe yeah i would straight away send it to him via whatsapp and then he might be having dinner with his girlfriend or something yeah in the evening so all right yeah it's not gonna but that's just not inf an information that he would need at the moment yeah so that's why we kind of trying to stick to those rules of yeah <laughs> work is slack whatsapp is personal stuff and actually force sometimes force our, ourselves um not to speak about work when we're just hanging out in the evening yeah um getting back to the actual company uh you guys have two things that we want to talk about we want to talk about the oscar stories app and also about your let's say main business aqq which we'll come to later um but of course both are interconnected so 
why don't why don't we start with what's Oscar stories and what is Hey QQ and how did Oscar stories come to be? What's the idea behind it? Yeah, so um, Oscar stories is an app which lets you generate uh, lets you generate personalized bedtime stories where your kids, their friends and family, uh, can be part of the story and become the main characters of the story. Yeah, what what we offer are unique and personalized stories which are also high and higher quality than uh, if you just prompt ChatGPT with uh, tell me a bedtime story. And mm -hmm. what sets us apart from competition is also that our stories are, uh, you don't, you can't generate the same story twice, which is something that goes a bit against the concept of LLMs, but that's something we're really <laughs> proud of because it's a detail that I think will pay off in the, in the, in the long run. And yeah, we are also on the verge of implementing uh, text-to-speech, which will come out in probably two weeks. Yeah. Hopefully, depending on the App Store review. <laughs> and as I gather, the HeyQQ app was there first and is your main business because your actual company is also called HeyQQ, right? Um, yeah, I mean, Oscar kind of got bigger as than we expected. Um But uh, yeah, we, we, ch we first started with HeyQQ and actually got a state grant, which was also kind of the thing that pushed us into going full time. And we just said, okay, we quit our jobs, we do this, and we s talk about it after uh, one year, um, how much have we achieved uh, and can we live uh, off the project and how to... I don't know how to continue from that, but we were just like, okay, one year, we don't care if we make money. I mean, we do care, but like uh, <laughs> which we set a runway for at least one year and we said, okay, let's just dive into that and, and let's do it. And yeah, uh, Oscar was uh, Dima's idea in December. Yeah, it was, uh, well, you know, The idea itself was completely different, I must say. And uh, to be honest, from my point of view, just the idea, if you compare the idea to the ultimate uh, project of how it turned out, it was probably 2% of that. Yeah, mm. <laughs> because maybe I said the sentence first in terms of uh, let's build an app for kids that generates bedtime stories. That That's more or less it. Yeah, that's Pretty you can't, it, yeah. You, you can't uh, <laughs> account more than 1% to the overall product. <laughs> Yeah, and I remember it was it was like uh, almost Christmas and Demon was calling me and he was like, you know, we have HeyQQ, we're not live yet. Uh, why we're not live yet, we will talk about it later. But um, And he was like, if we don't do that now, someone else will do it and will yeah. do it better. And he was like, we have to do this. And yeah. I told Dima, yeah, let's do this. And then I think we started actually coding on the 1st of January after being hungover yeah, from exactly. Sylvester. And then we just like did a really, really hard push to release it in uh, mid of February. And we were just like coding, I don't know, seven days a week from the morning till the afternoon and doing nothing else. And, uh, yeah, we just like, we want to ship as fast as possible. And that was actually a really, really good decision. Probably one we should have done with HeyQQ as well. But yeah, I don't know. We're just trying out two different <laughs> paths of, of going into the market. Yeah. For Oscar stories, the model is pretty much that people download the app. Uh, they have a child at home, uh, mostly, I guess. And, uh, then they're creating 
like what's what's the process like of getting a story out of uh, Oscar stories? Like I'm opening the app and then what do I have to do? Well, you open the app, you add your kids, you kind of create profiles for them. Let's say your kids' names are Lisa and Michael. You would basically create profiles for them. And then Lisa and Michael might have a pet, which is called, let's say, a dog Snooky. You would create a profile for Snooky as well. And you can create your profile for your for yourself as a father and mother. Yeah. And then whenever you want to generate a story, you would basically select um, the kids, which should be part of the story, as well as the side characters. If you're telling the story to both of your children, then all right, select both of them. But maybe if one is away, I don't know, on some kind of trip, you can also tell a story just to one child. And then the next step, which is actually a new feature, you kind of have two paths to select. The first one is a creative mode where you can choose between 16 or no, 12 different types, such as uh, you would select Lisa as a child. And then Lisa can choose if she wants to be a witch, a fairy, a, I don't know, a dragon. Yeah. And then the next step would be she can choose the profession for her type. So the fairy can be a detective or a policeman and so on and so on. In the end, parents have the option to add a moral to the story. So if you want to teach, if you want to teach your kid a particular lesson, like, I don't know, be honest, be kind, uh, don't lie and stuff like that, you can add that as well. And that will be incorporated in the, in the ultimate story as well. And the second mode is the classic mode, where which is new. We released that last week, where children can embark on adventures with their favorite characters from classic tales such as The Jungle Book, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, and so on. And obviously, just going to put it right here, we only took, uh, we only chose public domain stories. So there is no copyright issues with that. <laughs> yeah. So we're really careful to not uh, venture into Disney stuff and <laughs> et cetera, exactly. because that would be a huge problem. And yeah. And as I said, uh, afterwards, the story gets generated. It takes between uh, two and five minutes, which is something that's also uh, depending on uh, OpenAI and our server. But I think optimizing our server doesn't play that uh, that's mm -hmm. such a huge role because that takes about, I don't know, like five seconds. And uh, then we also will offer the option to convert it to uh, speech uh, via yeah, a newer language uh, model. Um, and that will, that will be also an opportunity for parents to just, you don't have to read the story aloud. You can also just press play and uh yeah work with that and monetization uh are right now consumables where you can just buy story packages and if you what we will also offer in a few weeks is a subscription model because of course uh consumables are not something sustainable in the long run uh, i mean it is sustainable but uh i i guess subscriptions would fit better into our uh, business model than yeah we just have to try it out, yeah. i think yeah we're experimenting as we said uh we we are live since mid-february and we're kind of iterating on different stuff we're experimenting with pricing we had first just one package then we added three packages then we tried you know changing the prices yeah. a little bit so you know you have to see 
one question that might come up regarding the stories is that obviously it's kids' stories, right? And it's stories mostly for kids that still get read to, which is young kids. Um, how do you manage that these stories never include anything controversial? We know that OpenAI already has policies themselves to not do this. But uh, as I already had, I have some experience with uh, OpenAI and copywriting in, in that uh, regard and prompting prompting the system. I'm not sure I would be 100%, I would be 100% okay with saying, okay, every text that comes out of there can be read by a six-year-old six child. Like, what do, what do you guys do that no, nothing controversial comes out of there? Well, actually, uh, two things. As you said, uh, the uh, OpenAI also has a moderation API, which actually is really, really good. But uh, I, I kind of have to do do a quick dive in how, how our model actually works. We just, we, you have the um, requests you get from a user's device, which gets sent to our server. And what we do, we have kind of like story building blocks which we defined first. So we kind of like uh, tell GPT-4 how to uh, tell a good story where you have different blocks, uh, what could happen with those characters. And those get got uh, get put together by our server, which is also, I think, something uh, not a lot of people do and, and why our stories are better quality. And we actually manually reviewed each of those over 1,000 story blocks, uh, which was tedious yeah. work, like really tedious work. But I hope in the long run that people realize, okay, if they go to Oscar stories, that's just way higher quality than if you just put in like, hey, tell me a bedtime story. Uh, and there the, like, um, the outline of the story gets defined. So we already tell the model the outline and this is why it can't have any or shouldn't it it uh, there was no case at all yet and we have over i think five or six thousand stories generated by users um where there was problematic uh content and that's why we are pretty confident to say that it shouldn't be an issue yeah, we don't have, we never have an actual open outline where we tell the model, just do whatever you want. For us, it's always like, yeah, tell a bedtime story about Lisa, the detective dragon and her brother, Marcus, the uh, policeman fairy. And then those building blocks would tell exactly how the story should uh, yeah. go on. And so, we also have a bad words filter in every input field the user can uh, input. So, like, you can't even input uh, something that's problematic or that could, like, you couldn't trick the model. Um, because I think the main problem is not the model itself, but if you have some kind of user input that has uh, problematic content or just tries to trick out the model, uh, then it could get weird. Um, yeah, and that's, that's, that's how we basically try to solve this. And how are you marketing Oscar stories right now? I know that's the like more our favorite topic of all time in, in the building public at Indie Hacker community. But uh, what are you doing to get people to discover the tool? Uh, yeah, we have a few. Uh, first of all, I have to say we didn't do a lot of paid advertising at all yet. Uh, why? Two things, because we like the budget. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> uh, second, we are kind of just like now trying out to find the right marketing channels so uh 
we just did a little bit of paid ads like um yeah. uh facebook and google but like in a we just used the free credit of google uh and just tried out stuff which was actually google was the google ads was the best for us right now um but we have to try out different stuff and what we also did is trying to get free pr uh, which is something that worked out actually quite good. Mm-hmm. And I probably, we probably sent out press releases to every news outlet in Austria, at least, and uh, try to do that also internationally because uh, you really get spikes of uh, signups from like an article in a classic newspaper. And it also helps to helps your brand because people think, okay, they are serious. This is like a serious company. Um, it's kind of old school, but I think the cool thing about it, if, if people write about you and we never paid for any, uh, of the articles, um, it's free marketing and free reach. And, uh, one thing that you already like kind of told is that, um, Oscar stories has been promoted in Austria's biggest daily newsletter called Golden Zeitung, yes. uh, not only that one, but another other ones as well. Um, and like you said, this actually helps. The growth of the company, you can actually see when the article comes out that you get l- big spikes of traffic on your site. Um, yes, I mean, yeah. it was kind of interesting. It was not on every newspaper uh, we had. I mean, Kronenzeitung was really amazing. But like we had one which was kind of a little critical. And they, and also the biggest problem with huge newspapers, they don't put the link in the article online, even if you ask them. And I mean, if Kronenzeitung would have put in the link to our website, it would have been way better because people have to search for it. And we didn't have a good SEO ranking back then. And yeah, you get you get the problem. <laughs> yeah, but I would say you definitely see a spike for at least two days. For example, after Kronenzeitung, we were seeing higher sign-up rates for yeah, at least yeah, two yeah. days because yeah, some people, like, you know, uh, they, they read the paper uh, one day or the second day and then search for it. And then, yeah, so basically it's, I would say two days continuous spike. Yeah. And I think in the long run, it's also good if people have at least heard about you once before, because most people don't buy at first contact. They buy if they have heard over and over and over again. Also, especially in the parroting uh, niche, it's about trust, I guess. So people have to trust your app that it is safe, that it that they can use it with their children, etc. The recognizability of such an article is, for example, uh, we were invited to a festival for to at for Game Changers, mm-hmm. and uh, we printed out T-shirts with the Oscar brand on it and so on. So we're basically handing out flyers and walking around and talking about the app. And at some point, one of the um, alumni from our school, uh, an older man, maybe like fifty or something, came up to me and he's like, "Hey, you work for Oscar?" It was because he knew me. Uh, we play basketball together and he was like, hey, Dima, I didn't know you work for Oscar. And I was like, oh, how do you know Oscar? And he's like, yeah, I read about it in Kronenzeitung. I was like, oh, wow, cool. Yeah, and also the invitation for the event, which actually cost a lot of money to go there and have a stand there, we got it for free because of the newsletter articles. Then they just kind of reached out, Wirtschaftsagentur reached out to us and thanks to Wirtschaftsagentur, by the way. And they were like, yeah, we want to invite uh, cool young startups and we will offer a free stand and you have free tickets for three days. And we were like, okay, yeah, let's do that. I mean, it's uh, that's really cool. And that's some opportunities you get if you have some kind of like uh, good brand, brand building, I guess. 
and I'm trying not to go on a tangent here, but that's something that a lot of build and public people and indie hackers are not thinking about. I think we had a discussion about this on Twitter, Matthias, yeah. um, where I said that uh, at, at least in Germany, there's a whole lot of money in future companies in pushing startups to the right direction. And it's not all financing. There's also big pots of money that are given away pretty much. Uh, without getting percentage of the company or having to pay it back. You just have to find it. And there's a lot of startup competitions where you can get at least a little bit of money. And also the other thing that's really important, network and exposure, which you guys got a lot, I guess. And um, that's even more, like sometimes it's even more worth than money because people actually know that you exist now and they know that they have this guy that you, that they know that could help you. And then you have that businessman who knows something at someone else. And then you get this kind of network effect that starts growing and starts getting better and bigger with every mention that you guys have. That's at least what I have experienced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fully agree. Yeah. And um, Oscar Stories has an amazing promo video on its landing page, which everyone that listens to this should uh, check out right now, or maybe after the podcast is finished. Um, what was the process of creating that? Like, how did you get that idea? And are you actually thinking about not only hosting this on the landing page, but also going into more traditional advertising like TV or something like that? I mean, uh, thank you, first of all, that you like the promo <laughs> video. <laughs> uh, I have to say... Um... To the first question, concept was we have no money, um, how to do a promo <laughs> video. So what we did is we licensed uh, stock footage and just created it. And then, uh, yeah, Dima and we were just brainstorming about the concept. I mean, it's not like a, the most innovative concept of all times. But I guess the idea was kind of like this, who, who do you want to be tonight? And that was the overall uh, storyline of the promo video. I mean... I would love to do more in this direction. But as you know, I, I come from a commercial production background. And the thing is, what I now realized, it's a whole different story to uh, do a video for, an startup, for a startup if you don't have any money. I mean, I couldn't... Uh, and also if you don't have a huge advertising budget. You know, I did commercials in Austria where they had a budget for TV for of 1 million euros. And mm -hmm. that is something, I mean, TV is really, really, really expensive. It, I, I don't think TV is bad, but like um, you can't afford that as an as a early stage uh, startup or an indie hacker. It's like, I mean, maybe Peter Levels could do it, yeah, probably. <laughs> but like for us, it's... Um, it's just so, uh, yeah, it's really hard to find the cost benefit. Also, if I we would do a, a costly film production uh, for us for like, I don't know, 20K, I mean, you wouldn't get that money in. It just wouldn't make any sense. I mean, I would really love to do it. Demon knows that. But I mean, we, I mean, uh, yeah, hopefully someday in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I must just say that I consider myself lucky to have a partner who is good at this because for Matthias, I mean, usually I I, don't, I think if I was alone and I would have some kind of idea for a video, it would just end right there. It would just end with the idea. That's it. But with Mat Matthias, I could be like, hey, man, I don't know, you know, what would you think about that? What if we do this with the video? What if we would add that? And he would just sit there for a day or so and then come up with a solution about that. So thanks, bro. 
<laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> we also did. We have one pitch video. I don't. Know, I think it's not on YouTube yet. About Hey QQ. Oh yeah, Hey QQ. Which actually did a friend of mine who is a really, really successful cameraman, and he just did it for beers. So that was like just uh, <laughs> friends helping out friends. <laughs> but yeah, he was like the network at, effect working, right? Yeah, but he was like coming onto. And he was like, "What's that kind of shit production? I mean, where's my coffee? Where's my assistant?" <laughs> he was like making jokes all the time about how, <laughs> how we lack any money. Yeah. Was, yeah, it's a startup business. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what's what's like next for Oscar stories? What's like I, I already heard that you're planning to do a text to speech next, but um, like what's the next steps you're going to do? Uh, are you pushing it further? Are you switching your con your like your main work every day to HQQ, hey or is Oscar stories still the the main focus for now? Yeah, for the moment, I would say uh, we're trying to. Honestly, Oscar Stories was supposed to be a one-month project in the beginning. We were like, yeah, we're just going to do it. And then out of a sudden, we have 500 users, then 1,000, then 2,000, and 3,000, and so on. And then out of a sudden, it became more than it was supposed to be, luckily. Yeah. So at the moment, Matthias and me, we kind of decided to try to wrap up the project in some way in terms of we have implemented the classic mode. We have implemented a pipeline of stories, of classic stories like Peter Pan and so on to be released. So we have kind of an update pipeline for the future. We will implement um, the text-to-speech function. I think it should be done around next week. So as Matthias said previously, it will be live within the next two weeks. And then we try, we hope that we'll, uh, you know, take some try to reduce the time we work on it yeah as much as we can mm -hmm. i mean we have we still have a big vision there are so many things that we want to implement for oscar we want to do a marketplace we want to do um you know small figures like tony box does and so on but all those things i mean it's a full-time job so we over the summer we decided we'll reduce the time a little bit that we're working on oscar and get back into aqq yeah because we we just want to release HQQ and see where this yeah. takes us and yeah it's kind of hard to juggle two projects uh at once and i think that's the problem many indie hackers have and is oscar stories generating any kind of serious revenue like right now i'm not sure if you want to talk about mrr but is it something that can now supply your business or your work at HQQ? yeah well it's not mrr because it's at the moment it's consumables Mm -hmm. uh soon to be four digit digits um mm -hmm. but uh, i mean oh, that's not enough money yeah. for we live in vienna yeah, sure. yeah. so yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> not even enough for one of you guys <laughs> no yeah um and also the thing is we're super low priced we have a good conversion rate and happy users which is something we were focused on right now and that's why we want also to implement another subscription model because we want to like uh see and prove that there is a real business case there and uh yeah and see if we can really earn uh money because at first we were focused on making a good product that people were happy using and not so much focused about the the money side and yeah and that's also something where we will see where oscar takes us i guess um yeah, if we sure. if we see this is really starting to become a serious business fine and that's great and yeah, we would just 
see if we get when we have market validation but it's a different case i think if you make i don't know 1000 euros mrr or if you make 10k that's that's a whole mm -hmm. different story yeah have you thought about going even more into the marketing direction like stop doing new features and going into the direction like paying influencers to check out the app or paying someone to or post or even post your own TikToks about it. I know that it's like not not really our generation and so, social yeah. media, but <laughs> I've, I've, I'm hearing again and again that TikTok is actually a pretty good platform to market on. And I can see the case here. Have you guys thought about stuff like that? Yes, yes. Uh, we will test all that out. I mean, we have a huge list of like, this is what we want to test and want to try. We actually got two uh, Spanish influencers uh, who did a video for free about Oscar, which was pretty cool. So thanks for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, it's also a question like how much money you put in and what you get in return. And we have to test it out because we are really low priced. So the, the, the cost, the customer acquisition, the acquisition cost can't be that high for us to make sense, I guess. Yeah. No, for sure. At the moment, we're just, um, you know, we, we're just focused on different things, I would say. At first, it was an MVP, which can generate stories. Then we decided, all right, we have to do the UI and UX more beautiful. Then we implemented uh, payments. Then we said, all right, people start paying for the app, but uh, the story quality isn't there yet. So we, uh, so we improved the story quality. Um, then we added more characters. Then we had some speed issues where we, you know, with the app, just some performance issues. We had to fix those. Then we decided to implement the classic mode. Uh, we raised prices a little bit. So, you know, it's it's kind of a journey. And every measure that you're taking, you have to wait for a certain period of time to see the effects of this particular measure. Yeah, I mean, we also have something we... Uh, which is very important to us, which I think is not something that gets discussed a lot on, on Twitter or in the hacking. Uh, we were just like, we want to have really satisfied customers, get really good reviews and have a really good retention rate in our app. And that is something that is was in the last month way more important to us than just growth. Because I guess growth without happy users is just not sustainable in the long run. I mean, I guess there are products out there I mean, I know there, I don't want to name them, but there are like people on Twitter who have really high MRR numbers and then you just look up the product and you see they have like the worst reviews ever. So they just make oh, like okay. <laughs> uh, one-time purchases and people uh, have a kind of some expectation about the product and they have good marketing and they buy, they buy it. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it can't be sustainable because um, if you have a product and lose every customer after one month and have a huge churn rate, um, I mean, after one year, you have to ship the next product because you won't get any more customers for the first one. I mean, that can be a strategy if you want to make probably quick money, but yeah. um, that's not something we want to do. Yeah, because the thing is, we both come from a uh, from the service industry. For example, in consulting, you have to you're working on a project, and then while you're finishing that one project, you're working already on getting the next project. So you're constant constantly in the sales loop. And that's mm -hmm. the thing with those, you know, ship X products a week <laughs> <laughs> type of things. And I'm also I'm 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 going to criticize this a bit here because I'm getting annoyed by it on Twitter a bit, um, where people always say you don't have to have a good product, you have to have good marketing. And I'm 
so annoyed by this comment because yeah okay you will probably make the first sale but you won't have a sustainable product right that's exactly what you I, guys wanted to I do. actually think it's bullshit because yeah. if you look at the big brands or the really successful companies is what they did was making a really really good product I mean also on the other hand you can't get stuck in feature hell I think that's something you have to balance but uh, like I don't know uh, if you know Refurbed from Austria which is a really huge company now and they just crossed 1 billion uh, sales sales uh, revenue. In, uh, revenue revenue in one year and uh, the CEO I, 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 I follow him on LinkedIn and he just posted like what was the most important growth driver and he just said uh, getting our customers to refer other customers and being so happy with the platform the product is the only sustainable growth driver because he said growth hacks are not sustainable in the long run. And I, I guess he's, he's, I mean, he has proven that he's super successful. And I guess that's something that also uh, you can reflect on indie hacking because um, for us, one of the biggest growth drivers is people sharing the stories to the friends. And uh it's better for us if we have users referring other users, of course, than just paying for every user. Mm. I mean, you also have to do that, uh, but yeah. I mean, and there are a lot of, I mean, on the other hand, I have to say, I fully agree with Matthias here. Yeah, but of course there are some companies where if you have a customer lifetime value of, I don't know, 500 bucks and you can acquire this customer for 200 bucks, then it's a super profitable business. Yeah. Perfect, yeah. But then at some point for indie hacking, if you apply that to indie hacking, then at some point you are kind of in the sales and marketing business and not mm. <laughs> actually doing a product, which is also fine. It's per perfectly fine if that's something uh, you want to do. It's just not something I particularly enjoy. Uh, yeah, we, we also had some interest. I mean, not like something that is written in paper or something like this uh, from people mm. investing in uh, Oscar stories. And we also talked uh, to uh, VCs. Um, I mean, it's not ju just like for for interest and 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 getting feedback, and and it's not also something we are against. I mean, if someone would say, uh, "Here, you have money. Uh, try to grow this company," we would be like, "Yeah, sure, let's yeah, yeah. do that." Yeah, they reach out to us because they they read it on on newspapers or somewhere. Yeah, so a lot of VCs reach and out to us. Actually, they don't. What I realized when we talked about them, they don't really care about the MRR we have right now. The interesting things are like, what's your lifetime value of a customer? What's the retention rate? How happy are the customers? And like, uh, what is your cost of acquiring a customer? And it's mm -hmm. like those variable metrics. It's like, it doesn't really matter if you're, as a, it, it does matter how many users you have, of course, but like, um, I think those drivers are in the early stage more important than in the in the long run. Yeah, yeah. I think that's actually mirroring uh, stuff that I heard on I think a hundred episodes on the podcast to pitch now, which is uh, a podcast about pitching to four investors, and uh, they have one very very big number file in those four investors, Phil, which is always asking about exactly those numbers and never about MRR. So I, I think that for VC investors as well, those are very much the more important numbers. Yeah, especially retention is something that everyone asks, all right, how many times are people using your, your app? Are they coming back? Are they coming back after two weeks? Yeah, and I guess it's also 
a good uh, quality factor of an app. And is that the case for you guys? Like, do people like the same parents use the app for like six months and more? We can't say about six months because we're not live for six <laughs> oh, months. Well, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, what we can say is, I, I mean, we we're live since mid-February and it's end of June. And as I previously said, you know, we, we started adding features. So our real, um, you know, customer push came somewhere mid-April when uh, we did the product hunt launch. And then it's just March, uh, May, June or something as those few months are the ones where we uh, got new users. So what we can say is that, yeah, people are coming back. Uh, a lot of people bought like for example the 70 stories package yeah and which obviously is the highest one yeah and obviously these people haven't uh repurchased yet because i mean for that case you would have to generate a story daily but what we are very very happy about is when people buy a five story package and then buy a 50 story package for example yeah. by the next higher one and and uh, to answer your question uh, we have an uh, over average uh retention rate which is kind of good uh, yeah, because yeah. you can see in the app store like compared to other apps in the category and stuff and it gets better and better uh, especially after fixing those like first uh issues and having better ux having faster app that's something that probably helps that a lot all right then we will see how that goes and we're gonna go back to the company that you want to on the, or the product that you want to focus on more uh, after the summer which is HeyQQ. And um, to start that off, would you like to tell the listeners what HeyQQ is and how you got that idea? Yeah, sure. Um, HeyQQ stands for Hey Quick Question. And HeyQQ is a social audio platform where people can type in questions uh, about the topics they are interested in. And then they get connected to other people that know the answer to the topic in a real-time one-on-one conversation. So it's like calling your best friend and asking uh, him or her about uh, about a topic where you know uh, she is an expert in or he's an expert in. And what we it's like an antithesis to like traditional platforms because we want to get back into real communication and talking to other people as we do, for example, on this podcast. It's a total different thing if you text than uh, talk to each other. And the conversations are limited to seven minutes. And after seven minutes, you can rate the expert or the person that answered the question and also leave a tip. And what we also offer are direct calls to experts. So you can uh, set a price for something you are good at. For example, uh, you can make a profile for you and you say, I'm Tobias, I'm a senior software engineer. I know about uh, all kinds of programming stuff. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what, what, your, what your speciality is. And I was waiting if you know it. <laughs> uh, and then you were, would, would be like, yeah, um, yeah, just ask me. And I, I don't know. Uh, I'm really good, so I charge like uh, 50 bucks a minute. I don't know if you get any customers, Whoa. but okay. you can try that. I might have uh, to switch to your platform then. <laughs> yeah, or you can say, no, it's like one, one euro a minute or I don't know. 
and uh, then you can either answer questions for free and get tipped or you wait for people to call you and pay for your expertise. So the, the process is for the first part, the seven minutes thing is that I'm asking a question like I want to go sailing and I don't know anything about it or I have one specific question and then the question is somewhere in your database and in a list that experts can see and then someone can make an asynchronous seven minute video. Is that correct? No, no. It's synchronous in no, no, real no. time. The, the, okay. the way it works is that the person who has a question posts a question and then an algo basically recognizes which kind of topic it is. And then the question gets shown in the personalized feed of each other user. Let's not call them experts. It's just other users for us because we don't really want to differentiate between users and experts right there. Yeah. So the other users who can answer your question, they would see it. And then if they have the time and if they have, I don't know, free seven minutes, they decide to give you a call. The call fully happens via our app. It's anonymous and no one needs to know your phone number or anything. And they would give you, the person who asked the question, a direct call. And after seven minutes, the conversation is terminated and that's it. So we basically have seven minutes to ask away. Okay, that's an interesting, an interesting yeah. business model or approach to it. Do you guys... Like, why, why have you decided for the synchronous part and not the asynchronous, like, I can record a video like this whenever I have the time and answer the question? Um, because we both realized that uh, talking to a person in real time is a totally different experience than what you have in the asynchronous internet. And that's why, I mean, it's probably a really bold approach and we'll see if it works. I mean, the, there are... Right now, also other people who try this approach in a different sector, so there there is a market for it. Um, but we want want to get back to real time communication because you can react in the same minute. You can ask follow up questions. You can talk to people. I mean, imagine we would record this podcast in an asynchronous way. That would be a totally different feel. Pain and, yes. <laughs> yeah, and you would send the questions and we would be like, you pre-recorded the questions and then you couldn't like, I don't know, uh, react to something we said because mm. it would be just like, you do this, that, and this, and that. And I enjoy talking, Dima does as well. <laughs> and I, I think talking to other people is just... Uh, it helps against loneliness and uh, you make way deeper connections than if you communicate in an asynchronous way. And I guess there are uh, enough solutions for talking uh, asynchronously in the market. Yeah. And if I may add something to that, from my point of view, uh, the main re reason for that is our follow-up questions and the power of conversation, more or less where the conversation is going to lead you because while you will be answering my question for every single person that is going to hear the same answer you're going to have probably five or even more different follow-up question questions yeah because if we were talking about a sailing license for a sailing license you have different ones you have fsb1 fsb2 fsb3 uh, where can you do them you can do them in croatia in italy and so on and so on so even for that type of stuff, you can have six or seven different uh, follow-up questions. So recording yeah. a video is just wouldn't cut it, in our opinion. And also to differentiate from uh, ChatGPT, uh, you can't replace human experience uh, with AI because it 
knows knowledge, but not emotional experience. And that is something uh, that's a totally different story. And we want to uh, have people share their own experiences and their own feelings with other people. And yeah, that's the vision for HeyQQ. That would that would have been my my next question if you guys feel threatened by OpenAI in this in this case, but I feel like you don't. It's in addition to us. We wanna we actually are planning to implement uh, OpenAI the OpenAI model into HeyQQ. By for example, if you're asking a question, you would get suggested a few topics that you would be able to ask some kind of follow up questions by ChatGPT. Yeah. So, for example, ChatGPT isn't going to be able to tell me the experience of this particular uh, teacher at that particular sailing school in Croatia. Yeah. But I can get some follow-up questions to, you know, help me lead the conversation. Um, HeyKQ wants to focus more on hobbies and leisure activities. Because what we believe, believe in is that every person is an expert in some topic apart from their day-to-day -day job and it's kind of a pity if you ask someone like what do you do people usually say i'm a lawyer i'm a doctor and so on but this lawyer and doctor comes home after a long day of work after let's say 10 hours and he reads for four hours about photography and he's been a photographer maybe for much a longer time than he's been a doctor and he's more much more passionate about it who knows and this is the knowledge that we're trying to tap into Uh, for example, uh, the Thailand uh, cave um, cave diving accident. Ca cave in diving accident. You know where the, the the children got trapped in the cave, and they were actually the heroes that gotten them out. I mean, also amongst other people, were cave hobby cave divers from the UK that were older than 40 or 50 years, because they just did it that often, often on the weekend. And cave diving is just a weird hobby that they were more experienced and better than Navy SEALs who were there and didn't know what to do because they just uh, had, had a passion for a hobby and then they became experts, even though it's not their profession. It was not their job to do that. And I guess that's something that's really untapped. And uh, yeah, we want to make that accessible for everyone which would be our, our grand vision. <laughs> so you have actually two challenges. You have a social platform, one, that's also going to be synchronous in nature, two. Um, how do you feel about that challenge, John? How, you do, how do you think you will approach that? And how do you get, how do you get the users that the system needs to, to succeed? I mean, that's a question we ask ourselves daily, but I would say, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we have some kind of a plan, of course, which we'll see if the plan is good or not by uh, only by launching it. And as you obviously understood that HeyQQ is going to have a lot of different topics where people can talk about. I mean, it's going to be sailing, I don't know, piloting, I don't know, any type of surfing and stuff like that. So the way we want to do it is we're just going to launch in a few categories and market the app there. Mm -hmm. So maybe launch, I don't know, in an indie hacker uh, space first and then add categories on the roll and depending on, you know, interests of people, uh, grow the app this way. Yeah, I mean, it's also something I, I'm actually really <coughs> glad we were thinking about launching Oscar in January, uh, AQQ in January. But then we did Oscar and we were also not kind of satisfied with the state HQQ was back then. And then we focused on Oscar and we launched so much with Oscar 
uh, that I guess the launch now hopefully is going to be way better than it would have been uh, six months ago. Um, but I'm also really glad about the Oscar journey and hopefully we will uh, have to manage two successful products <laughs> then uh, and split ourselves in eight parts. I don't know. But you guys still have the government grant that you talked about in the beginning. Is that running out at some point in the future? Like, you do you already have like a deadline at which you will have to be successful with those? No, because it's a non it's a non equity grant. They pay you out the money in three tranches. You uh, have to fulfill some certain criteria for each tranche to be paid out. So basically. Uh, you give them a promise of what you're going to do, then you show them that you did it, and then you, they give you the money, more yeah. or less. But That's also it, I have yeah. to say, we, uh, for our personal life, we live off of our own expenses because we put everything uh, in the company. And uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully we, we will change that soon. But uh, right now we just have our own runway and because we, we want to be successful with our products and with Oscar and with AQQ. Um, and it's not enough to, if we would pay everything out, we won't have any money to like do stuff and pay stuff and etc. Yeah. And also the government grant was not that huge that it could support <laughs> us both for a year. Yeah. And are you thinking are you thinking about taking VC money for HQQ or is that something not really in the question? Do you know someone who's gonna who's willing to give us money? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I someone I, who would I, ask for me for myself, I guess. <laughs> we are talking to investment for Oscar, as as I as I, I told you already. And we will also would be open for HQQ. I mean, I love the Hindi hacking way, but uh it depends. I guess if you have the right investor it would really help to grow the company and go to the next level um and to also be faster than uh just do it by yourself but um i mean yeah it can't both have has advantages and disadvantages i guess of course especially if i may add to that of course if we get the right investor um of i think everyone knows that the investment landscape has changed over the past uh, few years um we're not a Bitcoin and blockchain startup. So, <laughs> you know, um, maybe uh, th that's obviously, um, I don't know, a minus in that perspective because those startups used to get, for example, a lot of my, there's, a, there's always those hypes and, you know, ups and downs for each of them. But the investment landscape has changed uh, over the past uh, months or over the past year. But in general, of course, if we come up with the right, if the right investor approaches us and someone who can help us not with just money, but also with uh, the right kind of guidance and experience in growing those type of networks, that would be great. As well as Oscar, as well as HQQ. I mean, yeah. there's nothing to say against yeah. that. Yeah. For example, for Oscar, we have a really big vision, like where it could go, go, but that is something we honestly probably can't do on our own to scale it in this direction and to to do that much because you know time is limited and you can't do everything by yourself and also there's just things that need money right and then yeah as a bootstrap company you just don't have the money to to pay for that i guess yeah i mean on the other hand if you can scale your own company and live off that money it's really amazing i mean there's so yeah, many guys and uh, people on twitter who do that and it's just really really cool um yeah i mean look at mailchimp they never took vc money yeah 
It's yeah. a billion dollar company. If you can do it without VC money and just grow by revenue, of course, why would you give away 20% or 15% yeah. to And you also someone? have a lot of stress uh, and, mm -hmm. and um, obligations and you lose uh, freedom, which is probably something why a lot of people venture into indie hacking, right? Yeah, because I couldn't imagine taking up money and then someone has like 40% of my company in his possession. And then I have to listen to their opinions and I can't switch the company around like do 180 in one day because I think it's the, the right call. You can't do stuff like that the moment you take on outside money because now you have obligations yeah. that are not yours. <laughs> and also, I mean, also like, you know, VC, VC money, especially for indie hackers, VCs, most of the VCs are not applicable for indie hackers, even though some VCs say uh, they invest in seed or pre-seed startups. I have the feeling that some of their definitions of pre-seed is, I don't know, having 20,000 paid users or something. Yeah. So okay. I mean, that's, yeah, that, that was, I mean, obviously joking here. Yeah. But some of them. Uh, some definitions of seed and pre-seed vary amongst a lot of yep. VCs. Um, some pre-seed people would tell us like, yeah, um, I I'm looking for someone with a radio of 5,000 users or so. I'm like, all right, or I'm just thinking to myself here, that's not a pre-seed in my opinion, but all right. Um, so here, if I would give 20% of my company to someone who is actually helping and, you know, is with you on the same path and same direction, then I will happy to give that away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if someone is just there for, you know, for the exit and it's going to push you towards an exit at some point, that's uh, probably different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And regarding your company. So this is more of an emotional question, not really a, an <laughs> indie hacker question, but um, so I'm freelancing right now. It's five days because we're moving and we need a little more cash. But um, usually it's four days and then one day in indie hacking. Um, what I gather from you guys is that you are actually working on your products five days a week. You're not freelancing through your company or selling your time to someone else, correct? Yes. It's seven days a week. <laughs> and also, <laughs> and also you're doing five days probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a really tough decision to do that and i guess uh but we we both have had really good and high paying jobs and we were like we want to do this now and try how far it can get us also with the amount of stress it brings because it, we we are burning our savings but on the other hand i just we just both decided to go all in um because we started next doing it next to our jobs and it just You, it's really hard to do that and to um, to find the time to do then a side project and it kind of like sometimes it tends to stay a side project and not become a full-time project so uh, this is why we said um, I mean we are full-time since really full-time since I don't know autumn last year probably yeah. um, and Yeah, so almost one, yeah, soon one year. <laughs> no, mm -hmm. not, not, not yet. But, yeah. but I mean, it's also like the, the thing is, if you can afford that, um, from my own experience, like working four days in another job where you don't have the fulfillment that you have from doing your own stuff, uh, you're getting tired by that, you get stressed by that already, and then have to 
gather the motivation to to work on the on the thing you actually want to work on in the evenings and in the one day you got or not even that for people that have children or solopreneurs and and parents uh, i'm very very surprised that they get anything done uh, phil keller is a good example my last my last interviewee um i think those people are superheroes because i don't get anything done with one day for myself in the indie hacking uh, business but so. i mean you 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 also do a podcast which is like a yeah. lot of work <laughs> i know that yeah, yeah i mean we actually stopped not really stopped but like put a pause on the hey qq podcast because we just really don't have the time for it um it's just like so it's much work it's a huge time consumer i remember like matthias taught me how to cut the audio files and it took me i don't know a three hour recording would take me sometimes six seven hours of you know uh, shuffling it around and trying to you know make sense of people are trying to s and then cut out all those m's and r's and yeah, yeah, so I have a huge, huge amount of respect for you, Tobias, that you, <laughs> that you do that because I, I know it's a really a lot of work. Yeah, that's why um, in May we released three episodes and my original plan was releasing one episode a month. It just came to be that three really, really awesome people wanted to do an interview and I got the like the scheduling completely for all of three of them. And then I sat there, I had to edit like, a combined five or six hours of audio and like Whoa. you said Dima usually it takes like two or three times longer to edit yeah. it than it was recording it and that's why I'm already already looking into outsourcing the editing but I'm not mm -hmm. sure if I will be able to do that because I'm very perfectionist with the recordings which you can hopefully see in the quality that comes out um, but it's hard to let go of that part because it's just you want to have yeah the best quality for the for the things that you do because otherwise the the whole production stuff um the good mic the good software that we're using right now to record this isn't really like isn't really worth it if you don't deliver the the last 20% or the last 50% uh, in editing mm -hmm. yeah so yeah right now it's the most sure. important project but i yeah I, I, I maybe i'm underestimating that and uh might have no, to no, pl please continue <laughs> <laughs> uh, no really it's it's really co cool thing i i uh i don't know if you know the, the podcast there's some podcasts i really love to listen to it's german one geschichten aus der geschichte it's mm -hmm. like german english and i actually uh met the one of the hosts and they are now living off the podcast which is great wow. yeah but it took them, I think, six years to do that and releasing one episode or five five years, I don't know, one episode weekly for seven years. I mean, yeah. that's like that's some commitment. I never thought or I'm never I never have the thought that this will actually make any money. Maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> um I will concentrate on the indie hacker projects that I have to make money. But um yeah, it would be great though, uh, coming back to you guys. Um, would be great though to work on something that I'm so passionate about like the, the podcast or my own indie hacking stuff for five days a week we will see what the next year will bring um, regarding that maybe we could get a grant as well and we can start playing with this seriously every day which would be like I, I'm very envious of your position because you can work on whatever you want like on your stuff every every day yeah, I mean, it it has its <laughs> advantages, it has ups and, ups and downsides, downsides yeah. and also downs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I used to be a bit more relaxed before we started into this journey, but on the other hand, 
I'm so happy to work full time with my best friends on a uh, friend on stuff I love. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Same for me. I mean, some people uh, glorify this kind of uh, indie hacking as if it's I don't know. For for me, it was a dream at some point, and then for some people, it might maybe not. Yeah. If you want to do it, do it. It's just a completely different industry. I think Dmitro Krasun uh, recently posted something very, very good about it on Twitter. If you believe that that's something that is going to make you happy, then for sure, go for it. But I think you'll never know until you try. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, we're going to go into the finishing questions as we're already up on one hour and a, and a quarter. Um, I'm actually surprised because I have so many questions on my list um, and we, we we get through it pretty good. But nevertheless, here's the finishing questions. Um, number one, we changed that around a bit for the last uh, for the last episode because people were answering AI all the time. But what is exciting you guys right now and it can be either technology or work related or something completely different. I know that at least one of you guys is very into photography. So something regarding that is 100% okay too. Are. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, we're both <laughs> so we're three photographers here. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's photography, definitely. I recently purchased a, a Canon AE1 and uh, I upgraded my uh, 5D Mark II to a Mark IV uh, so I could keep my lenses. And uh, me and Matthias, we actually bought our first 5Ds at the age of, I don't know, 18. 18. And we went to the media market, which is like a, you know, electronics store. And we bought two of them and used to go on like photo trips and all that stuff. But again, during university kind of went different paths and this hobby lacked time, I would say. Yeah. So, yeah, I, ha I had a, I had actually really a lot of filming equipment and I sold everything in COVID except my old vintage lenses. Uh, and then I was really happy that Dima was like, yeah, we have to get into analog photography. And I was like, yeah, I can use my vintage lenses again. Let's go. <laughs> and uh, bought a, a Nikon FG20. And yeah, on the tech side, I'm really, I really like to play around with Gen uh, AI for image generation. Mm -hmm. and we didn't get I, to that, but yeah. I really want to play around uh, with ControlNet because I didn't dive in that deep in it yet. And I think it's really, really cool what you can do. And also something I want to explore more and play around the stable diffusion more, but it's hard to find the time for that to just, you know, do stuff for fun and not uh, for for work. I also have a mid-journey uh, subscription that's only being used to generate blog post covers right now but i can't i can't bring it over myself to cancel that because it's just so much fun to to use uh, for us the mid journey subscription really paid off i guess yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> uh for oscar we generated everything with with uh mid journey and also did a little bit of photoshop dima is actually a photoshop whiz <laughs> no no <laughs> uh and we yeah we just i i, I we I don't know. I think we've generated over 1,500 pictures with Midjourney or something like this. Uh, and it's so much fun to just play around with it. Yeah, Matthias and... is addicted to it. He's crazy. Everything <laughs> is like, yeah, Midjourney, Midjourney. <laughs> yeah, also, I, I guess you can do so much with it and people don't use it for the full potential because the documentation is also really good. And most people don't know that you can use like image weights and uh, they can use 
stuff like the no tag when you don't want something in a picture and it gets better every week and i hope they will have an api at some point because oh God, right please. now it's just like please yeah. i don't know they have to it's it's like like that that's it's one thing that i don't understand about midjourney's business is how is the api not the number one priority right now like that's going to print money for them that's just i don't know i actually don't know maybe it works that way it's really weird or they just like they were like, yeah, we don't have any rate limiting implemented and we don't have any uh, buffering and caching. Oh, okay, let's. doesn't matter. We have Discord. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's the strategy. Discord, the number one productivity <laughs> platform for, for enterprises. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, on the other hand, it's a really good, a cool example where you can just ship a really basic UI sure, yeah. UI yeah. because the product is so good that people would just... I mean, there are people who try to build an API around the Discord mm -hmm. of them. Uh, and I mean, I haven't tried it out yet, but it's like, they're just like, okay, people will do it themselves. I mean, I don't care. <laughs> I don't know what's the, <laughs> what the plan there is. Yeah. Okay, we have we have more question for you guys. Um, what's like the one lesson you would give someone that was just starting out their indie hacker career? Like they're on Twitter, they have zero followers and they want to start building something that they are passionate about building followers or building a product no no like what's the number one thing they should do to get a product out the door to mm -hmm. start the indie hacker career honestly for me it would be just first of all make a plan of what the main functions should be like what is what kind of pain points are you solving or even what kind of uh what your product supposed to do, then make a roadmap and then just build it. Make a plan, all right, this feature is going to be done within this week, this feature is going to be done next week and so on. And I think that's the most important part. And also cut it down to like the basic core functions, but also do something that people would love to use because I don't think uh, like there is like this really hard balance between bare minimum and a shitty product. And it has to be bare minimum, but bare minimum like uh, MVP that people would like to use, not an MVP that people find shitty because then it makes no sense to release it. Uh, and I guess also on the other hand, regarding Twitter, because you said, you said zero followers, uh, we also find ourselves to care too much about tweeting and Twitter and stuff. And I mean, there are so many really successful people out there who don't have like 100,000, 10,000, 5,000 followers and it's not a guarantee or a badge of success or of experience. Um, I guess some of the most interesting people I wrote with on Twitter don't have a lot of followers and um, yeah, it can be that people are really successful and that's why they have a lot of followers but it's not that, like something that is the most important part. And I would love Twitter even more if, it, if they wouldn't show the follower account. I guess it would be <laughs> a way better platform. Yeah, for me, I guess I'm I'm stuck at uh, 250 followers right now for at, at least a month, I think. I think I gained 10 followers in one month. Um, might also be because I'm a little burned out and it's now time for vacation, which will start in two days. Um, yeah. But also it's just, you kind of have to forget about that number and just talk to people on the platform. And what I'm doing is I'm actually just searching for the build in public hashtag and see if there are people popping up that I haven't seen or haven't heard about yet. 
that are posting interesting content and then connect with those guys. Not I don't really look at how many followers they have. I mean, uh, you get way more value from having one interesting conversation with someone or that we met each other, for example, than just like doing those uh, useless comments and threads where you may get followers or, I mean, there are people out there who are just posting MRR screenshots. I mean, fine. But I don't get any value out of that from just seeing. I mean, I'm. I would also post it if we would cross. I don't know, 10k MRR for sure. Yeah, sure. And it's yeah. fine to celebrate that. But it's not content where people learn something from that. You learn something from your failures, or you learn something how you got there, and not uh, that you got there. I think there's there was a very very important tweet by. Oli, I'm not sure what his Twitter handle is. We can link it later here in the show notes. Um, his name's Oli, and he's part of Senja.io, which is a testimonials platform. And he talked about how hard it is to actually get the MRR to a point where they can sustain their lives with it, with the with the company. And reading about his struggle and how much time and effort they had to put in to get anywhere close to a number that they can live on was far more important or interesting to me than seeing just his MRR, which might objectively be okay, right? You don't know where the business is, how long it runs, but having all this context and all this struggle out in the open, props to Oli for tweeting about that, um, was much was a much better Twitter experience and I think more people should post about their failures. Yeah, for sure. And we're going to go to the last question then. Where can people find you and your projects? On Twitter, on, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like the show notes, show notes will all, always be like your Twitter handles, so the rest pretty much is okay. Yeah. Um. So yeah, OscarStories.com and TakeAQ.app, and we also wanted to do like a website of all our projects, but that's uh, something that's really in the bottom of our to do list. <laughs> so. I mean, you see, there is always something you do, you want to do. You want to do a personal website. You want to do this. You want to do marketing. You have to do ASO. You have to do SEO. It you never have to ends. This. Yeah. yeah, it's like a constant. <laughs> Better get a job and get paid like, I don't know, 6K a month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, post us where those the six-digit jobs coming from because I can't find them right now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah. I have to go back. Yeah. I, I just saw that um, Java jobs are still the number one looked for freelancing job uh, really? out here. Yeah, so I might have to go back to to the ancient software that I that I did like eight years ago or something. Yeah, or maybe you do like a what's it called COBOL for banking. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. everyone died that actually can program that language. <laughs> <laughs> I remember in school we had Tour Pascal. Yeah. I mean, oh, this God. probably falls in the same category. Yeah, yeah pretty, this was the start of much. everything. Yeah. <laughs> Turbo Pascal got me into programming. I mean, I have to say, I love C. I think C is an amazing language. And that's also really old, but yeah. You can it's see really that the demand is still there. So we're going to go back. We're going to drop all of our indie hacking projects and just go back to Java and COBOL and uh, yeah. be very happy with that. <laughs> Well, thank you guys. That has been all of the questions. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was you. awesome talking to you. And I'm sure we will talk again. Uh, I hope that with, with the big launch of HQQ, we will do a part two of this. Yeah, do you have any last words? No, thank you so much, Tobias, for having us. Uh, you're a great podcaster. 
and uh, great friend on Twitter. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Tobias. Thank and uh, yeah, I guess one thing I want to add to the last words, I guess the most important thing about indie hacking journey is just to have fun. And 100% agree <laughs> on that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you, guys. Thank you for being Thank here you. and have a nice day. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And that's our episode. Thank you for sticking with us to the end. You can find Matthias on Twitter with the username MattHQQ. That's M-A-T-T underscore H-A-Y-Q-Q. And you can find Dima on Twitter with the username DimaHQ. That's D-I-M-A underscore H-E-Y-Q-Q. You can find links to all of their products on their Twitter accounts as well. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. We're always happy to hear feedback. If you're building an indie hacker business yourself and you want to be part of the show, we're also really happy to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter with the username Icebearlabs, that's I-C-E-B-E-A-R-L-A-P-S. Or send me a mail to tobias at icebearlabs.com. Till next time.